Welcome to 321 Go the Podcast. I'm John Pelkey. And I'm Carissa Galloway, and we're bringing you stories from start to finish to keep the everyday athlete motivated to keep moving towards the next finish. Carissa, today we have an incredibly inspirational athlete who overcame tremendous odds to become one of the best female marathon hand cyclists in the country. Her story is ridiculously amazing, Carissa, the legendary Wendy Larson. Yeah, we're also going to talk about vegetarian diets and healthier you, and we're going to open the mailbag to answer a question about race day hydration. And again, to all of you, thank you for listening. Please subscribe. That helps us get better rankings. It helps people find us. Uh, Thank you for leaving the reviews, for rating us, and then email us your tips for your first run Disney race or Dopey. We want to share them. Let's do this. What is up, Mr. Pelkey? We are in the midst of real fall now. Not pretend fall, real fall. (laughs) And for those of you who don't live in Florida, that (laughs) means that we've gone from the average temperature of the day being 97 with 80% humidity to 96 with uh, 80% humidity. It doesn't feel very fall. Though I will say, Carissa, I was up early this morning. I have dogs. And for me, early is, you know, prior to eight. And uh, there was a little cool breeze blowing, little bit of a cool breeze. Take it where you can get I it. Know. We'll take we'll take any little things. I was up at Ironman Maryland uh, last yeah. weekend, so I was running when it was quite chilly, sixty some degrees out there. Uh, it was really it reminded me and you being a Virginian as well, just like oh, yeah. this is you know this is yeah. what it's supposed to be. It was really nice to kind of be as close to home as I've felt in a long time. But you know the pumpkin yeah. patches, the cornfields, the things. I I grew up in a relatively rural area. Uh, that I really missed. So it was nice to be up there. But before, John, before I was there, I was in France. I, you you were. I was. You, you were like, traveling I was doing, the globe. I was doing the, I was like using my little planner and I was writing things out. And I was like, how many days ago was that? You know, as we're recording this, it, I was in France nine days ago and I've already announced another Iron Man and then I've come back. But Nice, France, we tinted it a little bit, should be on everybody, not just Nice, the French Riviera should yeah. be put on your travel bucket list. I, I've not been there. I've been on the Spanish Riviera. I've uh, been to Spain on the coast, the Costa similar. del Sol. But I, uh, I have not made my way to the French Riviera yet, though. That might actually be uh, that might be in my future, possibly. Oh, because of all the traveling. You're, I know you're doing a lot of Tuscany, a lot of Italy. Yeah, we're doing. Uh, we have a friend actually who's having uh, her fiftieth birthday, and uh, she wanted to do that in Tuscany. So we're going to do that. But then I have a couple of other uh, uh, job opportunity things that might take me to uh, to Nice, what? among other places. But I don't want to let, let's let's I'm not a, put that. I mean, that's bad juju to put no, that out there at this okay. point. I'm not going to do well, it. I'm just jealous now because um, I wasn't working. West <laughs> oh, okay. Race. Yeah, because it's been all of nine days it's since you were there. Since that's I've been there, and I don't have any other international trips until February when I go to Dubai and Kenya. So I'm really, really lucky. <laughs> Minus the ten days I'll spend in Hawaii for work. I'm so sad um, for you. No, it, so no, it sounds bad, but it's how, really. How do you get there? How How do you do it? I mean, honestly, <sighs> the, the the just the obstacles. You know, I'm not going to be out of the country until I go to Kenya and, and Dubai. Oh, and well, there's the Hawaii thing, but that's not really out of the country, though. Country. There are a handful of Americans who probably still don't know that Hawaii is a state, but I mean, come on, honestly, I'm not going to, I I will be going to Florence and uh, Tuscany in the summer. 
Uh, and I may actually have some other international travel in there. You're, you, you're, come on, oh, stop so. it. But Nice was, I was not working. That was a, actually a little vacation trip for me because Weston, as you, most of you know, raced in the Ironman World Championships. Yes, he did. So that was a lot of fun. He did a great job. That is a challenging course. It is brutal. It is beautiful, he said. But man, he said it was hard. He climbed. I mean, just imagine this. He climbed on a bike going about five miles an hour. So think about what a good athlete Weston is. For an hour and a half, he was climbing up 8,000 feet of elevation. Yeah, no, I no, I uh, hard to wrap my head around it. And by the way, uh, I talked to Weston about this uh, and uh, he was telling me where the bike path was, the bike, bike path as a, it's, it's not a bike path, the roads, what they were racing on. And not only is it an uphill climb, I mean, it's it's like cliff riding. Oh, yeah. It, look it's at for, for a guy with height issues like me. It, it was disturbing. Yeah, it's very, very, very impressive what he did. And just to finish it, I'm nervous. I'm a nervous wreck. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to go. I was supposed to announce Ironman Wisconsin that weekend, but I just couldn't have my husband racing on this bike course. It's part of the Tour de France. It's very, the bike yeah. of an Ironman is scary for everybody. So I was just, I needed to be there for feeling like a supporter, for feeling that like I had to see, I need to see him get off that bike because that bike is yeah. scary. Uh, but the day started and we've talked about this before. My husband loves to swim in a wetsuit, makes him more buoyant. The Ironman has a regulation where if it's above 76.1 degrees Fahrenheit, you you can't legally wear a wetsuit. You can, and not in a world championship, but in other races, you can start at the back. There's all these funny things. But the water temperature the night before was like 75.6. So they thought it was going to be wetsuit legal. So we wake up. I text Paul Kay, uh, the world championship Ironman announcer, and I'm like, what's the temperature? And it was over. And he sends me like – he sends me a screenshot of like our manager saying – Paul, please announce this. It is not wetsuit legal. And Weston's like, should I still bring my wetsuit? Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, I just sent you the official. What if, I mean, that might change. I'm like, it's not, it's not going to change, but it's not. This is how it works. You know how it works. Yeah. No, Temperature generally work. during the day rises yeah. until a certain point. Yeah. So I'm not thinking. But Mediterranean the Sea, very sea is salty. Get cooler. Very salty. Mm-hmm. Um, so buoyancy was helpful. And yeah. he had a great swim. I went to the beach club for seven hours. While he was biking. Yeah, that was rough fun. life. That was fun. Uh, lots of topless people at the beach club. Lots of very well-dressed uh, people. Uh, can, let me ask you this question, because the, the beach <laughs> in Spain that I went to was a uh, topless uh, beach. And, uh, it actually, was a, uh, I think it could be a nude beach. I, I don't know. There was, there was I don't no know chance the difference. I was, I don't, there's not I was, signs. Like, there's not, like, picture signs. As always, I was wearing a long sleeve, long uh, pant onesie zip up thing so no one could see uh see this body but uh the percentage of people that i wanted to see uh showing as much skin as they were uh was 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 pretty minimal was pretty minimal there were a lot of people out there was like "Ah, i want to cover up a little bit i feel like at this beach club now it was only 30 euros to pay for a chair which might seem like a lot but i thought this was a fantastic deal because you just got a beach chair the whole day as long as you were there. Yeah. Service was that. That's about forty dollars American. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like, it's a little I'm bit. not sure what the what the exchange rate. I was is right happy now, to pay this. Um, they were all really good. Everyone in this beach club was extremely good looking. Okay, in amazing shape. Like they had couture bathing suits on. There were men in their little Gucci and Fendi speedos. Like it was. It felt. I felt high fashion. Um, I would not have. Been I was misplaced. There. Did I have a target? I had a Marshall's bathing suit on. So a step up from okay. my, my Target bathing suit. Uh, it was striped. I felt like I was very French Riviera, but. I had a great time. Weston had a great time. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
And now, did Weston, I, you know, we, he and I talked about, we talked about the course a lot. We talked about the, the bike ride particularly, and there were also speed bumps on the on the road because it is a road that people traverse. So just a lot, he, of, yeah, lot of things that made crash, it even yeah. harder than just the distance. Yeah. When people hear, you know, Ironman, they think, well, gosh, what is 110 miles on the bike? Uh, yeah. 112 miles on the bike. It's like, wow, that's bad enough, but it's it's not 112 miles around an oval track it's 120 miles and there's a lot of uh a lot of climbing a lot of obstacles and, and when he was telling me about the speed bumps it just it 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 i i again I, I take my hat off to anybody who can finish one of those things and uh but my question was going to be uh did, did he have a target time that he was going for or was he just i know he wasn't he he he, he, he said look i'm not among the elites i'm not mm-hmm. going to win this thing but did he have a target time at all or was it just I want to get to the finish and feel good about having done it and not, you know, worn myself out to the point that it ruined the next two weeks of my life. So that's exactly what he did. I think that's a good point to bring up to kind of talk to people listening that are thinking about Dopey and they're thinking about Marathon and, and even you yourself thinking about running a race. So he did Ironman Coeur d'Alene. Uh, he did really well, but the, he went so hard on the bike that he was just destroyed on the marathon. And then, as we said, Ironman is a different beast. So he was absolutely miserable. So he went into this race knowing like, I want to finish, but I don't need to be miserable. So we talked with Tim O'Donnell. And you remember he mentioned he's working with TriDot Training. So mm-hmm. Weston met with the TriDot guys. Uh, some stuff may be coming in the future that I can't really talk about yet, but they have a predictor. So they can look at his other times and say, hey, on this course, this bike course is so hard. It's probably going to take you seven hours. Now, normally it's taking Weston five, maybe six hours for a bike. So what was good about that is that he didn't spend the whole time feeling like, I'm so slow. Why am I so slow? Why, you know, I'm going to take forever. Like, you know how that can happen when you're running? You just, you beat yourself up based on a watch, which doesn't know the terrain, doesn't know how you're feeling that day, doesn't know. So because he came in with a mindset knowing it was going to be a long day, he wasn't chasing a time. He just wanted to finish and be able to look up to look around, to appreciate where he was because that was the whole yeah. reason he went. Um, so he just went with that mindset. So the bike was, whatever they predicted, he was right there. And on the run, he started out a little hot and then he just was like, I just want to have fun and finish. It was the three-loop run. So I got to see him. Okay. It was, it's hot. I mean, the thing about Ironman, you're starting a marathon at 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. So it's extremely Ooh. hot. So he just went with the mindset to finish. He looked so happy out there on the course where a lot of people, as I was watching, did not look. He did. He looked and he looked great at the finish. I mean, he looked a lot better than I looked at the end of my 5K, quite frankly. Uh, And I think we all (laughs) would. And he's a really good athlete, but I I applaud him that he could put that mindset in that today is a day to enjoy. He kind of, I guess he almost treated like a training adventure. Yeah. Well, and I I think that's also an important, you know, you made an important point. I'll just reiterate that, that uh, most of the folks that we have talked to, and I mean, you're a veteran uh, marathoner, Weston is a veteran track athlete at a lot of different distances and all the folks we talked to uh, come in with a plan, just Mm -hmm. come in with a plan and come in with a, uh, with a, with a plan that is um, an achievable goal. We could all like, I could go out and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to uh, attempt a 10. I'm going to finish a 10K uh, sometime during this run Disney season. I could say, boy, I want to do that with uh, seven minute miles. Yeah. Well, well, that's a great plan, John. It's also you're going to fail miserably. Come in with a plan. And um, again, failure is not a destination. If you if you fail to meet your plan, that's that's all right. You the fact that you put a plan forth and you attempted to follow it through, because I, I know as well as anybody. I was doing the run walk method on the on the 5K and it's like one minute of a run, 30 seconds uh, of a walk. And I ran straight for seven minutes for the first seven minutes yeah. of the thing because, you know, your your mind and the adrenaline and I can see how that works. But, yeah, m- make a plan for yourself for people who are doing dopey. Uh, and that's why we want you. 
folks who are listening to this, if you've run Dopey and you remember your first or your second or where you really found um, where you found your lane in that, uh, let us know. Let us know how you did that, because we have so many people doing it for the first time and uh, coming up with a with a positive plan so that you get to the end of the race and you're not just miserable is important. Yeah. And I think Brittany said something, Brittany Charbonneau at one of our podcasts. And this, I don't want this to come across as mean. It, it isn't. And it actually, when I get to the end of it, I promise it has a good, a good message. But we were talking to her about her disappointment at the world championships. Right. And she said, yeah. at the end of the day, I realized nobody cares. And I mean that in a way of if you are stressing yourself and getting down on yourself because you wanted to run a 230 and you're on pace for a 240, guess what? At the end of the day, I just mean, I mean, this. nobody cares. No one's looking up your time. Like Weston could have done a 12 hour. I think he did. I don't even know what he did. 13, something right. like that. It didn't matter. It doesn't yeah. diminish the accomplishment of getting out there and doing it. And if you let yourself get into that black hole where you're only focused on time, you miss everything out there on the course. You miss engaging with the other humans. You miss, like you kind of miss the entertainment. On the I missed every. But now, listen. Again, I know it was raining. This, it was raining, and there was not it's, as. Yeah, I but know. It's a better story. But anyway, my point being that <laughs> I don't mean nobody cares, but I mean like in the big scheme of things, you go tell someone you finished a five k. You go fin- tell someone you finished a ten k. They're not focused on your time. They're focused on your achievement, and that is an achievement. I'm right. um, so Wesson. Let's say he did a slow Ironman World Championships on one of the hardest bike courses in the world. Nobody cares. We're proud of him for finishing and raising money for a great charity. So that's yeah. my spiel. But uh, thanks, Brittany. I do. I think about that when I'm running and I feel slow and I'm just like, nobody cares. I'm still yeah, doing it. I, I, I know. And, it's, and and that doesn't mean that you if you if you run and you, and you don't achieve your goal that you, uh, yeah, look back and say, you know, where, where did I where did I not follow my plan to get to, to my goal? Great. But be proud of yourself for committing yeah. to it and, and doing it because they're, as I always say, easy to sign up. But then you got to show up. You got to show up, yeah. And that's the hard part, frankly. Yeah. Well, we've been chatting for a while, John. But quickly, what's what's been? You were talking about me. What's been going on with you? Well, as you, as you know, uh, I have committed to running a ten k. This have you started uh, this training yet? No, no way. Uh, I actually I have started. I haven't started the uh, the Galloway method uh, training up to my ten k. But I am uh, doing two miles on the treadmill every day, just keeping getting my body up. That's because, good. That's you know, really good. It's been I, I, I we've talked about this on the show before. My eating habits are actually pretty good. They're not bad for a 59 year old American male. I think I, I think I do pretty well. Yeah. My cheat days sometimes get a little ridiculous cheat days. I go full on Belushi and Animal House sometimes <laughs> on, my, on my cheat days. But uh, but but I eat pretty well. My exercise, my consistency with exercises is, is not always great. Um, and that's being very kind to myself. So I'm. Trying to get up to just a consistent exercise and my consistent two miles on the, on the treadmill, a little bit of weight training, a little core training, um, just to get myself into mediocre shape. So then once I start my the plan that I have up to the 10K, I, I, I'll start at a better place. My 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 floor is going to be higher this time good. than my floor I'm was when I started you. training. That's for, really good. You're, you're, you're seeing the big picture and you're focusing on it. And I think adding in that exercise, that base, you know, is going to be really good for you when you get out there because the first two miles will be won't feel taxing to your body. You already yeah. know your pace and then you'll just kind of be kind of be adding on. Yeah, that's good. I and truthfully, you. I feel better. I feel better when I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you do. I, I just seem to forget that on a college football Saturday when my lovely wife is not here to tell me that I need to do things. And I'm on the couch from the beginning of, of game day at nine until the 
Pac-10, uh, rest in peace, the Pac-10, uh, Pac-12, rest in peace, Pac whatever, it's whatever. gone. It's gone, people. Next year, it's all gone. Uh, until those games are off at one uh, thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And you can only imagine what uh, what sort of feast I allow myself through that It's like Thanksgiving every, every Saturday at your house. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, oh you got, God, you know, but you do need your joy, John, and that is your joy. Yeah. So, but maybe yeah. if you do a little halftime, even a one month. Right. I've thrown a crew to tape plate. I throw a crudite plate in the uh, in the refrigerator so that that you know you the the fiber. pizza rolls aren't every forty five minutes. Yeah, I mean it's so it's so much easier for men to just jump on the treadmill because for a woman, if I'm watching TV and I'm going to go jump on the treadmill, there's a sports bra, there's a hair tie, there's lots more that goes into it. You could just just go. Well, uh, I was working towards needing that sports bra, so that's one of the reasons there's some exercising going on. Well, if you need a good brand, we can talk <laughs> and, about that. And right now, my actually, as you look at me, and I'm pointing to my left, uh, there, there's my treadmill is on that side, and then there's this this medieval torture machine to my right, which is an elliptical, which is really what I need to get on because it strengthens your core, and that's one of the places where I really, really need work. Okay. Um, and uh, and my hip flexors and everything because my balance gets bad when I get tired, and it, it's a lot more work. But because it's a lot more work, there's the other side of me that really now that I mentioned pizza rolls really wants them. That is like a little treadmill. It's your friend over there. So as I stare at that elliptical, that that'll that'll come into the mix as well. Right. So that's yeah, less I'm impact committed. on your joints. Elliptical less less impact. Yeah. Why don't you I know. do I... fifty one mile and then ten minutes on the elliptical? I don't. I don't need your help. They're right there. I don't need I, yes, it, it, I will fitness. warp towards that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna accept the praise for the fact that I've gotten on the yes, treadmill okay. now. We'll I, I, will, I will. I will move in the direction Good. of the uh, elliptical. It's only about five and a half, six feet apart. But in my mind, that's that's a, that's longer than that 112 mile bike ride. Well, look, we got we got crudite and we got treadmill, and we are just we're taking the wins for the week. All right. Good. Good. I, I salute myself with uh, my fifth cup of coffee. All right. Me. Well, we have talked a long time, so we have more things we're going to chat about, but I we want to get into this interview because it's amazing. But before we do, we want to hey. thank our sponsor, Travelmation. So if you're dreaming of a magical, stress-free, run Disney race weekend or another vacation, don't let the travel planning overwhelm you. We want Katie McBride with Travelmation to take care of everything for you. And John, you know I love using a travel agent time-saving, stress-free, all the things and the expertise Katie brings. So reach out to her today and you can embark on your own journey with seamless experiences and unforgettable moments. That's right. And you can reach out to Katie at www.travelkatiemcbride.com. That will be in the notes. I won't try to spell it out again. And we'll have the website in the show notes, as I just mentioned. Look at that. Redundant. Redundant. Uh, And have a wonderful trip because traveling feeds your soul, people. Okay, civilians, it's time for the goods. Let's get on to the interview. Our guest was told for most of her life she'd never be able to participate in sports due to multiple medical issues and was once, in her own words, 100 pounds overweight. Then in 2021, she won the Boston Marathon Women's Hand Cycling Championship and set the women's course record while doing it. And then she repeated that victory in 2022 and also broke her year-old record and won the New York City Marathon that same year. And Carissa, those are just a few of her many accomplishments. Welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Thanks so much for having me. Um, I am at home right now, not out at a race in any crazy location. I'm at home in League City, Texas, which is down south of Houston on kind of the Texas Gulf Coast. So, yeah. 
Well, Wendy, we want to start at the beginning because something that I... I, en- I don't know if the words enjoy, but I know when we see our, our role Disney athlete or our adaptive athletes, sometimes when we, we dig into what they've gone through and what they've overcome, um, there's so much inspiration in that for people to never stop believing and never stop pushing and never stop learning what they're capable of. So uh, we know that there's been a number of medical issues that kind of made it hard for you to participate in athletics. There was a rare condition that affects your immune system. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about you and and your journey to get to be the champion that you are today? Yeah. So I have a really long, complex story. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. But I was born with the rare primary immunodeficiency disease, which means I was born without a fully functioning immune system. So growing up, I was in and out of the hospital constantly, spent a lot, a lot of time at Texas Children's with doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me and this and that. Um, I do get my immune system from uh, monthly immunoglobulin infusions. So what that means is people go, they donate plasma, they extract antibodies from the donated plasma, and then I get that as a monthly infusion. And that's how I have my, an immune system. Without it, I wouldn't have an immune system. So that's kind of that in a nutshell. I also have a rare connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which means all of my joints are super, super unstable. All of the connective tissue in my body is very weak. So my ligaments and tendons, instead of them acting as rubber bands and stretching out and popping back into place, they just stretch out. So things dislocate, things get real unstable. Um, It actually eventually led to a spinal cord injury in my spine because my spine was so unstable and I had one vertebrae slip down on top of another one. Um, I've had to have uh, pelvic floor surgery because basically all of my organs slipped out of place and they had to go in and put them back where they belong. I have a mitral valve prolapse because the valves in my heart, they're made of connective tissue. And so they get a little floppy. So that's kind of the two main rare diseases that I have. Um, Growing up, I was always told my joints and my bones were too weak for me to play sports or participate in sports. I would try to do something I would get injured. Doctors would tell me not to do that, that my body couldn't handle it, that my body was too weak. And over time, I just kind of started to believe that, Um, you know, you're supposed to listen to doctors. So when they tell you stuff like that, you start to believe it. Um, In 2006, I was in a horrific car wreck. Um, I almost lost my right leg. And the I spent three weeks in the trauma center inpatient. I had about 15 surgeries to reconstruct my leg. Um, And, you know, I couldn't walk at all for a time. And when the surgeon finally released me, his parting words said very sarcastically, um, well, you might walk again, but you're never going to run a marathon. And that was kind of the trigger in me that set me off. And at that point, I think... It just, I'd had enough and I decided, well, at this point, what do I have to lose? Watch me. I'm going to run a marathon. So I started training. um, And at this point you're training as on your, on your feet as an able-bodied, bodied bodied athlete. Well, at first, because I was in a wheelchair, it took me about a year to relearn to walk. So I was 
on my feet, able-bodied athletes. Um, and I say able-bodied. I, I know. I don't know what the right term is there, but you were. I, you know, I don't know either because I grew up not being labeled as disabled and I didn't know growing up I was disabled. Um, and that was a weird thing for me too, because there was this stigma and I think nobody ever wanted to label me as that, but you know, it, it was just, it was a different time. Um, so anyway, so I learned to walk again. It took about a year and I started training to run a marathon. Um, you know, learned about the Galloway method, got out there, did my walk, run, walk intervals. <laughs> and my big goal I kind of set for myself was to do the Disney princess half marathon. And I did a couple of local races in Houston. Um, I did the Houston half marathon and the, the goal and kind of the deal I made with myself was that if I could get through and finish the Houston half marathon, that I would do a big girls trip to Disney world and do the princess. half. And so I did that. Um, at the time I was incredibly slow. I was one of those back of the Packers. I never knew if I was going to finish a race or not, but by golly, I was going to get out there. I was going to give it my best shot. Um, but I did finish that first princess half marathon. Over time, my health started to deteriorate further. You know, my, my diseases, the EDS, it is a degenerative disease and it started to take its toll and my joints became more and more unstable. My knees were dislocating. Um, I developed something called POTS, which is a dysregulation of your blood pressure and heart rate that can cause you to pass out when you stand up. Um, so I was having a lot of those issues and I had been doing a lot of the Disney races and at the same time, I was going through a lot of physical therapy and one of my, and I was being very stubborn about it. Um, and to be honest, I was a danger to myself because I was trying to go out and run and train and I was passing out and falling and I, I was, I was a danger to myself. But one of my physical therapists at that point suggested hand cycling. And just from there, it just kind of all completely turned around and took off. Can I ask you when you were, oh, sorry, John, I just want to ask when you're doing the, that Disney half marathon and you're, you're, you've already listed all the things that you've overcome in terms of, of your joints and your, your immune and that you're, you've taken control of that. And now you're most likely, you know, was it painful for you to finish those ones? And where did that motivation for you to say, no, I'm finishing come from? How did you do that? I, you know, there are days that I still have no idea how I did that, but Honestly, I'm just stubborn. <laughs> I'm just that stubborn. And I think I had, over the years, I've just gotten to the point where I've realized that either I could lay around the house and I could, you know, gain 500 pounds and be bedridden, or I could get up. I could tough it out and I could go out and I could fully participate in life and enjoy every moment. And you just kind of, you learn to roll with it. Um, I have a very high pain tolerance. And I think that's because 
I have always been in pain. I don't know anything different. I've never had a pain-free day. And, you know, it, it is what it is, but I think that's also, it's not that I don't experience pain, but I have a very high tolerance for it. So that has also helped along the way that I'm just one of those people that, you know, I just, I, I, I've resigned myself. This is how it's going to be. And I'm not going to let it stand in my way. I literally feel like I'm about you, to cry just, just listening to you to you I know. say that because it's you, crazy. That is right. You it, had a choice to stop and and to give up on pushing forward, and you you've chose to push forward and push forward so much, right, John? Well, yeah, that really leads to what I because I wanted to jump. I want to jump ahead, and we want to talk about your hand cycling career and all of that. But I want to jump back to that um, that moment, um, that epiphany moment, apparently that you had with your surgeon saying what, what he did. He or she, sorry, don't want to. Down with the patriarchy. Uh, I, it, 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 many people would have taken that as kind of just a, uh, okay, well, I can lead a life of leisure as best I can. You took it as gauntlet thrown, and I know it wasn't, wasn't intended that way by your doctor. Where did that come from? Was it just simply all the years of having to deal with, with what you dealt with that you finally said, you know what, I, I followed all the, the rules, and I don't feel fulfilled? Yeah, I really think it was. I think I had just reached my breaking point somehow. And to have that one one more doctor just look at me and and say that very off the cuff, you know, very sarcastically, I was like, Mm-mm, no, you're you are wrong and I'm going to prove you wrong. But yeah, it was just that that one moment that it just I, I think I just reached my breaking point. I was tired of doctors telling me I was not capable of doing stuff. And I was tired of not believing in myself. Um, and I was tired of thinking, oh, I can't do this while I watch all of my friends go out and do these amazing, amazing things and run marathons and all of this other stuff. And, you know, I, I wanted to prove to myself and I also wanted to prove to those doctors that, you know, didn't believe in me and didn't think I could do these things that, yeah, I can. And it, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know why it was that specific moment, but it was that specific moment that it just, I reached my breaking point and I was done. I was done. Mm-hmm. I was going to go out and live my life. And you That's have remarkable. lived and you have, as we're going to get to <laughs> set records yes. and broken barriers, but that yeah. started when you transitioned from running to hand cycling. So how long did it take for you to kind of learn how to hand cycle? I guess we don't know. What is that change like? What is that learning curve like? And how long till you felt comfortable and you were ready to cycle? And how long till you knew you were pretty darn good? <laughs> so I took to the hand cycle very quickly. Um, I think because I had been trying to run through all of this stuff that I'm, you know, I really never should have been able to do as much as I was doing anyway, but I was pushing through and doing stuff that in theory, I I never should have been able to do. So when I got on a hand cycle, the very first time I got on a hand cycle, it was a wow moment for me. It was this feeling of freedom and feeling like I was actually working with my body instead of against my body. And I fell in love completely, totally head over heels in love 
the first time I got on a hand cycle. It was just, you know, this feeling of freedom and flying and, oh my gosh, I can go fast in this instead of being that very last person to cross the finish line and having the balloon ladies chasing them and being passed by <laughs> balloon ladies. Cause it, it happened, you know, yeah. I have a unique perspective on that because I have both been passed by the balloon ladies and been swept and I've also finished in first place. So, um, I, it, the first time I got on the hand cycle, fell in love with it. And I immediately just, I started, um, spending as much time as my body would let me on my hand cycle. And I had to, you know, it, it's a process. You have to train those muscles. You have to build your endurance. Your body has to make those adaptations in order to be successful. So it took, it took some time, but, um, the very first time I did a full marathon, I actually qualified for Boston, which I wasn't even aiming to do. I didn't even know I had done it until later that day. Um, and somebody texted me and say, Hey, Gina, you qualified for Boston. So that was kind of surreal. Um, but I continued for about three years, just, you know, getting slowly better and better and better. And then it was actually during COVID that I realized I'm like, you know, I, I'm pretty good, but I could be really, really good if I worked with a dietitian and lost some weight and worked with a professional coach and got some professional coaching. And so during COVID, I because I have such a weakened immune system, it was a long time before we were able to do anything. And the only thing I could do was get on my hand cycle. So I just spent hours and hours and hours on my hand cycle. Um, and that was really when, when I realized, okay, I, I can take it to the next level if I get serious about it and build the right team around me. Uh, we, we want to get back to your weight uh, loss issues because that, that's an amazing story in and of itself. But I, I want to jump to competing as a hand cyclist versus competing as a runner because you're presented with a lot of different challenges. These courses aren't always built, you know, with without tight corners and those things that make it difficult. And now you're also dealing with um, an equipment issue. It's not just of these four types of shoes. What shoes do I have to purchase? So can you talk about those challenges moving into that discipline? Because uh, as much as it seems the same for people, you're going the distance, sure, using different muscles, there's really a lot more that goes into hand cycling, ancillary things outside of just that part. Oh, absolutely. So when you are trying to do a race in a hand cycle or a push rim chair, you face a lot of challenges that runners just they're not aware of. Um, it's not intentional. They just, they don't know. So we have a hard time stopping. We can't just stop on a dime. We have a very difficult time turning. Um, I always tell people my hand cycle um, has a worse turning radius than my car does, literally. So my car has a better turning radius than my hand cycle does. Um, it's really, really difficult to turn. It's really difficult to make really sudden moves. So especially in running races, when you are in with a bunch of runners, it is really, really hard to navigate through crowds of people. And if somebody cuts over in 
across you, in front of you, um, it can be really bad. So, you know, we ideally, we'd like to have bike guides in front of us during races and they help to make sure that your path is cleared, make sure runners know that you're coming up behind them so you don't have issues with them crossing over in front of you. Most races will start the wheeled athletes ahead of the runners to give us a little bit of a head start so we don't get mixed in with the runners as much. So I am at a level in my hand cycling that I don't have to worry about that anymore. No runner is going to pass me. But most of those athletes are going to get mixed in with the runners and it does get to be a problem. So, you know, we have that aspect of things to deal with. But then we also have the mechanical side of things. You know, adaptive equipment is ridiculously, ridiculously expensive. It is not covered by insurance. It is hard to come by. You can't just go out to a running store or a bike shop and buy a wheelchair, um, a racing wheelchair or a hand cycle. They have to be custom ordered and they can take five or six months to get in. And that's after you get the funds together to be able to even afford it. So, and then during races, you know, we have to worry about flat tires or brake issues, mechanical issues that runners don't necessarily have to worry about. So there's always the possibility that you're going to be stuck over on the side of the road with a mechanical issue. And, you know, by the same token, if I have a mechanical issue and I'm over on the side of the road, I can't walk. So it's not like a cyclist that can get off their bike and walk their bike somewhere, walk their bike off safely. So because now I'm in my hand cycle, I can get out of my hand cycle and I can sit beside it, but I can't walk and carry my hand cycle off the road safely somewhere. I can't stand up to work on my equipment, that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's just, there's so, so many different layers and it is a giant learning curve. And it does take time to figure out how to make all of these things work to be a successful athlete and to be able to fully participate in the events that you want to participate in. Yeah. I mean, again, you've, you're, you're obviously overcoming so much to just get to the start line and all the things that all of our Royal Disney athletes and, and chair athletes all over the world go through just to get there. I, I think that it's important to help people understand that if you see them on the side of the road, you know, maybe ask them if they need a little assistance or just be super right. aware of when they're coming, they cannot get out of the way. And I think that's really important. And we try to reiterate yes. that um, as much as we can. Let's go back uh, to when you're winning your first Boston marathon, John alluded to it and you did too. Uh, with your medical issues, you did struggle with your weight, even when you started running. Uh, when you won your first hand cycle Boston Marathon, you said the day you left home for that race, you finally hit your target weight loss, which was around, I think, 100-pound weight loss, which is yes. remarkable. A lot mm -hmm. of people are in weight loss journeys. A lot of people have other mm -hmm. issues, maybe not the level you do, but can you tell us a little bit about that weight loss journey? So I was one of those people I struggled with my weight my entire life. Um, growing up, I think, you know, part of it was because I wasn't as active as I wanted to be. Um, and even into my 20s and 30s, you know, I just, I didn't exercise. I didn't work out because doctors were always telling me not to do it. So then you 
you don't and you don't exercise and you don't work out. And I had not um, really prioritized it. And I had not prioritized my health because I just, I was in a, in a different headspace then. Well, you were surviving. So, you were basically, yeah, you know I what I mean? Surviving. Yeah. To say you didn't yeah, prioritize was, your health, you were prioritizing your health. Yeah. You spent so yeah. much time on your health, the different aspects yeah. of it. So don't, yeah, don't count yourself never, out. You were putting yeah. a lot of energy into a lot. Yeah. So I, I tried just about everything and nothing was working. And, um, I finally found a registered dietitian here in Houston and she works with a lot of athletes, but she also works with a lot of people that have different health issues. So I have, I have a lot of very serious food allergies. That's actually a comorbidity of both the primary immunodeficiency and the EDS. I also have, um, gastroparesis, which is affects your digestion. So a lot of different stuff like that. So I found a registered dietitian. She's amazing. Amazing. She was the one that was finally able to really pinpoint what I needed to do in order to lose this weight, but yet still be able to perform as an athlete. And she, you know, has she, I still work with her to this day. I will never give her up because I will need help with this until the day I die. Not, you know, I'm at my goal weight, but I still need help with the sports nutrition side of things because it is so intricate and so involved at the level I am performing now. So it was absolutely having a registered dietitian. And Krista, I know you're a registered dietitian and I will preach until the day I die to people that are having issues losing weight. Find a registered dietitian. They are the ones that are going to have the most knowledge about nutrition science and how it affects the body and your and be able to work with you with your individual needs and really tailor you know, your nutrition to to you as a person or as an athlete. So yeah, it just, that was the key though. It was working with my dietitian and, um, you know, just sticking with the plan and eating a whole lot more fresh fruits and vegetables and you know, <laughs> all of that, just prioritizing it. All right. I have to ask this question because, you know, you can't believe everything you read, read on the internet machine, uh, from what I've, or what I understand, but is it true? That uh, there was another reason to celebrate the day you won your first Boston Marathon. Um, and, and if so, because frankly, if we wrote this in a script, it would be your script would be turned down because it's just simply not believable. The day you won your first Boston Marathon was what else? It was my 50th birthday. Come on. And the really crazy thing about that is that was the year that the Boston Marathon was moved. So Normally it's in April. That year it was in October because of COVID. So normally it wouldn't be anywhere near my birthday. They just happened to change the date of the Boston Marathon that year and it landed on my 50th birthday. So, I mean, you can't write a better story than that. I won. You can't write that story. No one would accept that as a story. Don't tell me the, the universe does not have a sense of irony. I know. I have the birth certificate and the race results to prove it. Yeah. So it was my 50th birthday. I won Boston and I set a course record that day too. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Oh, by, by the, the way. way. You know. <laughs> now, when you cross that line, you won, you set a record, you're celebrating your birthday. 
Did you, and I think you have a little bit of that talk about stubborn competitive mindset. Did you say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm coming back and I'm defending, you know, did you have that moment where like, you just won, what are you going to do next? I'm going to do it again. You know? What, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> as soon as I finished, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing this again. So I did. <laughs> I and by the way, broke your record yeah. as well the next year. Yeah. I want to yeah. talk really briefly about the Boston Marathon because they have always made a huge push for inclusivity in terms of all levels of athletes. What does that mean to you? Um, I mean, it means everything to me to have races that are really inclusive, that you know include hand cycles and push rims and duos and visually impaired athletes and mobility impaired athletes, all of that. Because, you know, all we want to do is we want to be included. We want to be able to go out there and race with our friends and our family and be a part of it. So, and it hasn't always been the case that races, and still to this day, it's still not always the case that races are inclusive and welcoming to adaptive athletes. So, yeah, I mean, it it just, it means so much because... Otherwise, you know, it would be a matter of me sitting at home and just, you know, watching all of this on TV and seeing friends, you know, pictures and videos and posts about it and knowing that it's something that I just wasn't allowed to be a part of. So that's all we really want is just to be included and respected as athletes. Yeah, and there are, sad to say, and, I, I, you know, logistically, there are obviously issues with this, but there are a lot of races that don't uh, recognize hand cycle winners, and I would say even even our Run Disney race, and, and that has to be a little bit discouraging at this point. It is. It's a weird place to be as a hand cyclist, because technically, a hand cycle, it is adaptive cycling, not adaptive running. Push rim is adaptive running, technically. Where this becomes an issue is 95% of hand cyclists are not going to be able to compete with able-bodied upright cyclists. A hand cycle, you simply cannot get the same power from a hand cycle that you can an upright bike. Because you think about the muscle mass in your arms compared to the muscle mass in your legs. And there's a huge difference. Your your thighs, you know, all of those muscles, they're twice as big as the muscles in your arms. So it's not a fair comparison. And hand cyclists, they're just going to be so much slower than bikes. So if we go to cycling races, it, you, you won't even see the rest of the field. And you'll be back there by yourself all of it. And it, nobody wants to do that. Um a lot of people will say, well, you should just be in a push rim. The problem with that is most of the people like me that kind of start out running races that then need to transition to uh, a, being an adaptive athlete, you're in a very weird position when you are using a push rim wheelchair. So you have no back support. Your legs are tucked up underneath you. You're using your core a lot. So you have to have a stable core, a stable spine. So for me, because my spine is super unstable, my hips are very unstable. My knees are very unstable. Um, it would cause major, major issues if I tried to race in a push ram. And that's one of the things uh, my PM&R doctor, who's incredibly supportive of me, has told me all along is you cannot race in a push ram. 
you have to be in a hand cycle because that position gives me the back support that I need to be able to safely compete. So then you have this issue. Well, if you're a hand cyclist, what are you supposed to do? You can't be in a push round. That that positioning will not work with your disability. But then cycling races, you can't, can't go join a mainstream cycling race because the vast majority of hand cyclists will never be fast enough to do that. So then you have hand cycles and, you know, marathons, half marathons, that sort of thing. So for me, I have gotten to a point where I am now able to go compete in cycling races, but that's not necessarily normal. Most, most hand cyclists are going to be in marathons, half marathons. So yeah, we all wish they would recognize us and give us awards because we're out there doing the absolute best we can doing what we can based on the type of disability that we have and working our butts off every bit as hard as the runners or the push rim athletes or anybody else out there. So it's, yeah, it, it is frustrating, but that's kind of, you know, one of those things, all we can do is just continue to advocate and advocate and try to make people understand one, how hard we work and why we are hand cycling. Yeah. And you know, I, it's not, I will say for us, I think there's an awkwardness because, you know, yes. John and I aren't usually at the finish line as much anymore, but when we used to be, you might've heard me explaining to people, this athlete's going to be our first athlete across the line. They're not going to get a banner because they have this. And then we're having to justify why someone, oh, we're going to celebrate them, but then this person gets confetti and everybody's going to yell a lot louder. And it always, it, it does feel uncomfortable. So I want, how can we better support you as announcers? Um, I think just recognizing us as congrats congratulating us and recognizing us as the first place hand cyclist to finish. This is our first hand cyclist across. Um, and then, you know, advocating for, for us with Run Disney when you get the opportunity, <laughs> you know, but just recognizing us as, you know, legitimate athletes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I train, well, I probably with my training, which is it is the exception. I probably train harder than anybody else out there. Um, so just because we're in a hand cycle doesn't mean we're doing it because it's easier. Cause mm-hmm. I assure you it's not. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just that recognition and not just blowing us off mm-hmm. thinking, Oh, well, what they're doing, it must be easy. Cause they're so that fast. Kind of they're just already done. It must be easy. Yeah. And I think that's, right. I'm, I'm yeah. so glad that you're sharing all this because I know that our listeners and our, and John and I included in all of our announcers, we will be better supporters because it is easy to say, Oh, this person did a 5k and you know, however many minutes, Oh, blah, blah, blah. But to know what it took to have the courage to get there and, and to, to finish the race. Um, thank you, Wendy, for, for making us all, all better for that. You're welcome. It's it's good to have people that are eager to learn and yeah. listen. Yeah, That's absolutely. We can ask for everybody is presented with a different challenge, and I think we should celebrate everyone who works their way through that challenge to finish first, second, third, or finish at all. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Though I will say, at Run Disney, we do have some people who who do their best to be the final finisher because. 
<laughs> there can be they can be very very celebrated. Hey, listen, recently you took another challenge, uh, race across the West. Can you talk about that a little bit? I don't know if I can talk about it a little bit, but I can talk about <laughs> it a lot. <laughs> so, That's fine too. Um, okay, so I guess a year and a half ago, I won both the Boston Marathon and the New York City Marathon in the same year, and I needed a new challenge. I needed a bigger challenge. Um, I love my training. I love the long distances. So I started looking into doing more cycling races with cyclists um, instead of running races. And um, my coach and I came across um, the cycling race called Race Across America and the companion race to it, Race Across the West. The these races are ultra cycling, ultra endurance races. Race Across America is considered the most difficult ultra race in the world. Um, ultra, the Race Across the West starts in Oceanside, California, and it ends in Durango, Colorado. And it's 925 miles, and it has 56,000 feet of climbing. Oh, wow. And this is it's not a stage race. This isn't like the Tour de France where you get to go sleep in a hotel every night. You race around the clock nonstop. And so I am just crazy enough or stupid enough, I don't know, that I decided I wanted to do this. So um, no female hand cyclist has ever done this race before or race across America or anything. Um, no hand cyclist at all has ever done race across the West. So, yeah, I decided that's what I was going to do. And I asked my coach and he said, yeah, I think you can. If any, he's, I think his words to me were, if any female can do this, it's you. So I said, challenge accepted. So <laughs> we started training for it and I got a crew together and we devoted the whole year to nothing but race across the West, basically. Um, and June 11th, I took off from Oceanside, California. And six days later, I was in Durango, Colorado. Wow. So it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And also the most am amazing and most epic thing I've ever done. That is just so, so impressive. Amazing. Just the, the, yes. the continual, the distance, the altitude, yeah. everything. That's just an amazing accomplishment. Um, I want to jump back a little bit to run Disney because when you set that Boston record, I remember seeing on the, the Facebook groups and everything, so much support oh for gosh. you. Uh, what do you love about Run Disney Races? It's the people. I mean, it's the people and the support, hands down. So I haven't been participating in a lot of Run Disney Races because I've been so, so focused on training for Race Across the West. Um, but... Those are my people, the run Disney people, the Roll Disney people. Those are my people and they always will be. So, you know, even like during Race Across the West, um, one of the run Disney groups, they had a thread going for me where they were all running along with me and they would post their daily mileage and dedicate those miles to me until, you know, they got to the 900 and 30 miles that I was doing. Um, and they were constantly commenting and checking in with my husband, who is my crew chief and texting and all of that. So 
you know, one of the things that my husband and my crew was doing, we had a headset so I could communicate with my crew in the chase vehicle behind me. And, you know, when I'm climbing those just insane, insane climbs and up into the Rocky Mountains, you know, my husband is on my headset going through uh, some of those comments and posts in the Run Disney groups and reading them to me. And, you know, and that helped so much, so, so much get me through some of those really tough days. So, you know, and it's such an amazing, supportive community. Um, and to me, you know, I, people love the medals and the character stops and all of that. But for me, it's the people. That's that's really what it's all about. So, in fact, in January, I'm not registered for Marathon Weekends, but my husband and I did just recently book a room so that we can come cheer for everybody Aww. and see everybody Marathon Weekends. That really is something that's unique because we know other athletes who do the same thing or they volunteer because they're not going to be running that year for whatever reason. You're right. It's absolutely, it really is a remarkable community. And we learn more and more how remarkable year in and year out people reached out to Chris and I during uh, COVID to do some uh, video, just, you know, encouraging folks for races that they, that they put together. And sure, it- I guess <laughs> I listened to the videos that y'all put yeah. together during COVID. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it really is remarkable. All right. Now, you are in a unique position for this. What advice would you give to people who might be interested in hand cycling, either as a, f- a first sport for them um, or as a transition? Somebody like you who transitions from running, what's the best advice you, you could give them? Because there just seem to be so many, pun intended, moving pieces involved I- I- in that change. There are. And I think Probably the most difficult piece is actually finding a hand cycle to begin with. So there are different organizations out there that have loaner hand cycles available to get you started. And it really depends on where you live, where in the country. Achilles International is a great organization that has chapters worldwide, and they often have loaner hand cycles. So I usually, that's my first go-to when people ask me this question. I ask, okay, where are you? See if you have an Achilles International chapter near you. If you do, get in touch with them because you don't want to spend ten dollars or $20,000 on a hand cycle until you know if this is something that's going to work for you. So, you know, you can find a loaner hand cycle um, of some sort to get started in. I really think that's the best way to go. There are also Facebook groups um, where you can buy and sell used hand cycles. So that's another good avenue um, to get started with. And then you just have to be persistent and reach out to other people that are, you know, that are hand cyclists or coaches or, you know, volunteers with Achilles International until you find somebody that can answer some of those questions for you. Unfortunately, it is difficult in some areas to find a lot of support and a lot of help. If you're in a major city, it's a lot easier. I'm in the greater Houston area, so we have resources here. But if you're in a smaller town, it's not always that easy. So I I spend a lot of time answering questions um, and helping newer hand cyclists. But, you know, it's people that reach out to me that somehow know to reach out to me. And a lot of times people don't. 
So it's, but it can be difficult. It can be difficult and you have to be persistent. And if it is not working and you're not finding the resources you need, you have got to be persistent. You've got to be a go-getter and you've got to keep, you know, working to find, um, find, find the help, find organizations that can help find people that can help and don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're afraid to ask for help, you're, you're not going to go very far because it's not, I, I wish I knew every person out there that needs help, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. If you reach out to me and ask for help, I'm happy to help. But you know, you just have to make sure you go ask for help, find that help. Well, thank you for being that great resource for people. And I know we've had other uh, run Disney athletes kind of make that transition. I know Dawn, I believe Bronwyn as well, kind of made that transition yeah. in there too. So a uh, shout out to them. I, I want to know from your viewpoint, we ask this question of everybody on the podcast and we get such an amazing variety of just truly emotional, sometimes uh, funny, all different across the spectrum answers. What is the most inspiring thing that you have seen at a race? So I'm going to go in a very different direction because I'm around adaptive athletes all the time. And everybody out there has some incredible, amazing, inspiring story. And, you know, I just, I can't single one out. So I'm going to go in a totally different direction and say it was the places that I saw during Race Across the West, the landscapes. We were out on these little roads in the middle of nowhere, um, in going through Navajo Nation and Monument Valley and the deserts of Arizona. And it was the most awe-inspiring landscapes and scenery that I have ever seen. I, I think it was actually the day that we hit Monument Valley and I dropped down into Monument Valley and I'm just looking around me and it is literally the real life Radiator Springs. <laughs> And I just started bawling as I'm riding along. I just was just, you know, so inspired. I'm, the beauty of being out there and, you know, the appreciation that you have for the landscape and everything around you and the opportunity to be in the middle of it. And on, you know, me, my tiny little hand cycle and all of this majesty around and it's, it, it is inspiring. That is really an inspiring moment for me. Yeah. So all those great John Ford Westerns filmed in Monument Valley. I mean, something we've all seen forever and then to see it in real life is it, it really, remarkable. Is it in Forrest it really, Gump when he's running? Does he run through there? Yes. Monument, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go I love watch that, John though. Wayne's movie The Searchers, and when he opens his door out into Monument Valley, it's one of the great shots in the history of cinema. Seen. Well, I'm, listen, Wendy, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to follow your story, and I, I we buried the lead about this, but your story will actually be coming to the screen in the form of a documentary. If you could yeah. tell us a little bit about that, and then let us know where people can uh, follow your story uh, outside of the documentary. Okay, so um, back in the spring. A graduate student at NYU reached out to me about doing his graduate thesis about my story and race across the West. And we chatted back and forth and I got more information from him. And uh, 
So he has been down in Texas off and on since March, I believe, um, doing a lot of interviews with me, filming me, interviewing my doctors, um, just following me around everywhere, my day-to-day life and following my training and how I train, all of that. And then um, had a film crew that actually went out to California, met me out there and followed me throughout Race Across the West. They got all of the good and bad and, you know, because it was not all, it was not all rainbows and roses. Let me assure you, it was ridiculously hard. And they, you know, they filmed all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, And then he's actually back in town this week. He is, you know, doing follow-up interviews and, you know, doing the two-month check-in with me to see how I have recovered from all of that. So, yeah, it's been interesting. He's making a documentary about it. Um, The movie will premiere in February in New York City at a student film festival at NYU. And then from there, it will likely make the film festival rounds, but we don't have any information on that yet. So but uh, shout out to the NYU Tisch School. And uh, I have some friends who have kids who've gone there. They do amazing work. When you say a student project, folks, this is as professional as it gets. Yes. Yeah, it's I I did a lot of research into it. This is actually part of the news documentary program, um, very specific to documentary filmmaking and uh, incredibly highly respected. And like these student films they're putting out are winning all kinds of crazy awards. Yeah, it's the top, it's the cream of the it's, crop. It's it's really it, the top among yeah. a couple of handful of places that they do yeah. and remarkable he has, work. He has been so professional and taken so much care to learn about me and my story. It's been it's been really cool to see how the process so far has evolved and there's still a lot more to go. So you know, they work with the um, graduate music composition students that are in their screen scoring um, uh, graduate program to actually score the film. So it will have a professional score for the film and everything. So, yeah, it's I'm excited about it. And it'll be interesting for me to see because I know, you know, he was interviewing my crew along the way. And I have no clue what all of that was about and what my crew was going through because Part of their job was to keep any issues that came up from me. So I was focused on writing and nothing else. So I'm sure there will be stuff I'll see that I didn't even know happened. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, we're excited to see it. Make sure let us know when it's out. Let us know how we can share uh, and support you. But Wendy, thank you for sharing with us just a little bit of your journey. I feel like we barely scratched the surface on all you've accomplished. And I know that there will be so much more to come, but we look forward. And I know the athletes look forward to seeing you cheer everybody on at at Disney in January. And we will be keeping our eyes on you uh, as your journey continues to grow and inspire. So Wendy Larson, thank you so much for joining us on 321 Go. Thank you. I appreciate y'all having me. All right, athletes, here's the drill. Time to shape up your diet. Carissa, give them the goods. All right, today we're going to talk about a topic that I know we're going to talk about more because there's so many facets of it to talk about. We're going to just scratch the surface of vegetarian diets. John, what is your thoughts on a vegetarian diet? 
Well, uh, as you know, when I married, uh, when I started dating my wife, she was a pescatarian and only ate seafood. She didn't eat any red meat, pork, chicken, uh, any fowl. And uh, we've actually changed that up. We generally only do uh, turkey and chicken and uh, seafood, fish and seafood. Um, so I, I wish, quite honestly, like many things in my life, I wish that I could switch to a vegetarian diet because I, you know, one of my passions is animals and uh, the way that we treat our livestock and that I think is uh, in many, many instances reprehensible. And aside of the uh, the health issues, those uh, social issues are, are important to me. So we try to do two vegetarian meals per week at a minimum, and I am in favor of it, though I do know that there are a lot of things involved, which you're going to tell us about. Yeah, and I think a lot of times what you're doing is exactly the right thing. I think our American diet is we create meals. We grew up thinking about how do we cook. Meat was the first thing, and then we built everything around it. So sometimes it's just that mental shift and how do I plan my meals and eat if I'm not including meat? And I think for me too, that's a challenge. So for you and for other people out there, it is okay to do meatless Monday only or do two sort of meatless meals. A lot of that's called the flexitarian diet. So one I, I like think that. is like, let's go with a, a, let, let's let go of the stigma of I'm either all vegetarian or I'm not. It's okay to be in that middle range striving for more meals as well. But when we look at it through a health lens, I do say, and I have said this for years, that I think there may be a time where that, you know, how many years in the future is the primary diet is that we see that there's so many benefits of that vegetarian diet because science shows that there's a reduced risk of chronic diseases. So if you are getting in a well-balanced vegetarian diet, it's going to lower your risk of heart disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and certain types of cancer. And that's because plant-based diets, they're usually lower in saturated fats and cholesterol. They're higher in fiber, antioxidants, and essential nutrients, which leads to better health outcomes. Vegetarian diets, when done correctly, and I'm going to put a big asterisk there, can help with weight loss. It's not as simple as cutting out meat and you're automatically going to lose weight because sometimes what happens is people put in more processed foods. But if you are getting in that well-balanced diet that we're talking about and not overly relying on carbs, it does help in weight management because it's lower in calories and saturated fat as well. And then I talk a lot about digestive health because my goodness, John, when our gut feels good, don't we just like we're less grumpy like out of the gate? Right. One of the things I've I've noticed growing older is people talk about, oh, you know, if you have a couple of drinks now, it takes a while to, to uh, with your hangover to get over it or something like that. I find as I get older, if I overeat in any way, I, that is, I feel worse than I would, you know, as a college student going to a, a beer party or something. So yes, my gut uh, speaks to me more often than I care to admit. I mean, and this is off off the rails a little bit, but do you feel like I especially do as we go through dopey, like by the end of it, my stomach is like, what day is it? When are we eating? Why are we eating? Like I have to be really conscious about fiber, particularly through the Red Disney right. weekends. Right. We talk about lack of sleep and we always bring that up. People ask what's the most difficult thing. And we always bring up lack of sleep, but, uh, Nutrition and eating would be a close second. Yeah. So vegetarian diets, though, my point being is that they help with digestive health because they are so yeah. rich in fiber, which supports healthy digestion, prevents constipation. I'm a dietitian. I'm allowed to talk about all these things and supports the gut microbiome, which we've talked about with probiotics that connects them to immune and mental function. So a lot of benefits to the plant-based diet. And we're not going to go pick sides at this, but if I, if you need another reason, if I can impart on you another reason for 
thinking about adding in some more plant-based meals, it's environmental sustainability. Animal agriculture contributes so much to greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation, and water pollutions. So when you're choosing vegetarian meals, you're reducing your carbon footprint, and that takes less land, uh, less resources. So think about just, just the earth and picking some vegetarian meals. And as you said, there's other animal reasons as well. But if you're on track to thinking about more vegetarian meals or you just want to learn more, look at your diet and see where you could add in more plant-based foods. I'm happy to help you do that. We always talk about Healthier You. It's my 12-week online nutrition course. You sign up. There's online modules and videos you can watch, meal plans. But right now, I'm doing a fall bonus. So when you sign up, you're going to get a three-day free meal plan. When you sign up, email me and let me know, hey, I want a vegetarian meal plan, or hey, this is what I want to focus on in my meal plan. You're going to get that three-day meal plan just for you, along with all the other meal plans and recipes that are in Healthier You, monthly Q&A chats with me, as well as support in the Galloway Training Hub. So go to GallowayCourse.com, sign up with code PODCAST, and get your meal plan today. Athletes, listen up. It's mail call time. Announcer free, present... All right. Thank you, Sarge. Today's question comes from Diana via Instagram. She's training for her first half marathon. Congratulations for committing to that, Diana. She wants to know what should she have on her in terms of nutrition or hydration for race day? Should she have a hydration vest and which snacks? What snacks should she bring? Well, Diana, kudos for training for your first half and for thinking about nutrition. I say it over and over again. You can't recover from poor nutrition choices during your race, so you're doing great. Um, what you should have on you in terms of nutrition, hydration, and race day is what you've been training with. So when your runs go over that 45, 60-minute mark at home, what are you drinking and what are you eating? You're going to want to bring that with you. I don't think necessarily if you're concerned about water that you'll need to wear that hydration vest. I would maybe bring a bottle of water for you to have with you on the bus. And while you're waiting, we do have pre-race water, but I always like to make sure that I'm covered myself. And then there should be ample water stops where you'll be able to stop and get hydration. The thing to really think about is what nutrition am I going to take during that race? Because we do have some on course at Disney. It's it's well-researched. It's race nutrition that works, whether it's sport beans, uh, whether it's honey stinger, you know, whatever it happens to be, because it does sometimes change from year to year based on who our sponsors are. But my recommendation is bring the race nutrition you've been training with and bring enough to have for the entirety of the race probably a little snack of that, whether it's half a banana or your goose, chews, honey, whatever, 15 minutes before the race, and then in 30-minute increments as it goes on. But do what you've trained with, Diana. If you're training with a certain food, if you're training with that, make sure you're having it. The only time I would say you want to bring your hydration vest is if you're, is there a specific hydration beverage you're using, whether it could be Genucan, Liquid IV, anything like that, noon, and that's what you want to use, then you would want to bring your own vest but I don't know this answer. Check with the Disney regulations as to what you are able to bring um, and wear with you. Don, did you ever, you know, go on a long enough training run or walk or hike where you needed nutrition during that? I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, I'm wondering. <laughs> wow. John, did you ever go far enough? No, <laughs> I'm the queen of backhanded. This is a backhanded slap. Oh, John, have you ever done was... anything that would require that you, you eat anything, you out of shape? Uh, I have never actually gone on a run. But the, the, the furthest I've ever run is 3.1 miles. So I've never done anything, and I had to hydrate throughout that. But I, I did actually follow your advice prior to the race 
having a banana. I had a, a little power bar with me just before I started. So I haven't done that, but um, I may have to. Well, I'm going to have to look into that in the future. Because, as you as you up you know, the up the ante. Something well, thank upcoming. you. Yep. Something thank upcoming you, Diana. Great question. Uh, best of luck training. Train that hydration nutrition. Uh, send me a message on Instagram if you have any questions. And for all of you out there, we want to tell your story. We want people to get to know you. We want to know the why behind. You can email us at 321gopodcast at gmail.com. Send us a message on Instagram at 321gopodcast. We will share your story. And I want to shout out Holly and Jordan, uh, two run Disney runners from Central Florida. And they were out there doing the 29029 Snow Basin event. So well done, ladies. And don't forget, if you've got tips, send them to us. Rate us. Review us. Keep sharing the podcast because we want more people to get to hear great stories like Wendy's. Yeah, and if you have tips for people uh, running their first Dopey, because I know we have a lot of folks out there who have done that a uh, number of times, or their first Run Disney race or race in, in anywhere, their first 5K, 10K, whatever, if you think you have good tips, please uh, let us know those. We may feature them and discuss your tips on a future episode. Who knows? Also, share your story that you might hear in a future episode, as Carissa said. Once again, email us at 321gopodcast at gmail.com. As always, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye.